So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. I just did it. Okay. Uh, I just hit record. Welcome to Feature Creep colon. (laughs) Built in microwave semi colon. Uh, Oh, uh, color palettes. Color palettes. Yeah. The podcast or whatever. Color palettes, the podcast. To kind of come back to our roots of art and design, we're going to talk a little bit about color palettes. And this is take two because somebody... Not going to mention any names, Ned, but uh, somebody maybe hit a wrong button and some of the recording <laughs> didn't happen the way we expected it to. It's all right. It was a dress rehearsal. Yes. It's the right. only dress rehearsal we've ever had for this podcast. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll I thought all the improving. podcasts were dress rehearsals. <laughs> <laughs> this is all just practice. Right. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, color palettes. We we found some interesting... Um, factoids about where color palettes came from Mm -hmm. um can you tell us about that sure uh so well i don't know if this is where color palettes came from but if you look up on wikipedia if you look up color palettes you might also encounter cosmetic palettes as Uh, one of the topics that's sort of referenced in there um and i i originally when i saw that i was like oh color like cosmetic palettes like Mm -hmm. you know collections of eyeshadow or something um Oh, no. No, really what struck me as very interesting is that um, color cosmetic palettes, at least in the Wikipedia article as of August 27th, 19, or 2020, what year are we? 21? Um, 21. We're just going to say 19-something forever. 19-something. 19-something. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, cosmetic palettes, uh, at least in this context, they're referring to uh, these archaeological artifacts that... Uh, date back to pre-dynastic Egypt, which is basically like fourth millennium BCE, which is just insanely long time ago. Um, And the interesting thing to me about this was that uh, these are basically, as they define them in the Wikipedia article, they are uh, used to grind and apply ingredients for facial or body cosmetics. So they are... They are cosmetic palettes as we know them today in very similar contexts. And I just... It really kind of put a lot on like I just put this idea in my head I was like this is really interesting that we like this hasn't changed some of these things haven't changed yeah over the entire it, course of human it, history right i mean like we have more modern ways of producing the cosmetics potentially and you know they show up in a consumable plastic box but the idea of putting colored powders on your face is not new mm-hmm. by any means yeah. like yeah there's uh it's interesting there's all sorts of stuff people used to do to like make themselves more or less beautiful right and like it's like oh put some stuff on your face that makes it look really really white oh put some darker stuff on your face that makes you look tanner darker skinned oh put this stuff in your eyes to make them less bloodshot oh put this stuff in your eyes to make them dilate even though it's poison right yes (laughs) nobody wants to look the way they look that's what the moral of the story right we're all trying to look like somebody else i do uh, but i do like thinking of um, and I think I mentioned this in the first take, but we it's I'll just try to revisit it, which was I, li- I like the I think in a previous or in a different life, I would spend more time in costume mm-hmm. where yes, I feel like there's a difference between like I don't like the way I work, look and I want to look differently versus I just want to look differently for this moment. Oh, yeah. Um, where I I like the idea of um like makeup and and costume and like you know changing your whole outward appearance and kind of being somebody else for a day or like you know in this moment yeah i mean that's why theater is so interesting and and fun to watch but um but i also think it's just a really interesting thing you know speaking of art and design it's like the human face being one of the most continuous forms or continuous mediums for art like people have been drawing on each other's bodies and faces for as long as we've been yeah, a species and like, on this planet. <clears throat> yeah. And it like, I, I'm kind of, I've sort of been stuck on this, what you said about like, I want to change how I look for now or I want to change how I look forever. 
Mm -hmm. um and do you get all of these like i'm thinking of rites of passage like when people get tattoos or scarification Mm -hmm. um or like like how you do your hair has a lot to do with how you express yourself right um and there's oh my gosh like i wonder i wonder if like cosmetic palettes have become more or less in favor over time because like right now they're it's batshit you can't go into a place like sephora without being buried under an avalanche of color palettes that right right like instagram influencers are pimping mm-hmm. um and like i'm totally seduced by them i think i said in the last one like i have a bunch of makeup palettes that i just don't use very much because i don't actually for one thing i don't like how this stuff feels on my face like right. it really bothers me to have it on my face um or it like gets into my eyes when I'm wearing contacts or something like that. As as a mutual like uh like perpetual sweaty person or like perpetual yes. sweater, perpetual yeah. perspirer. <laughs> anything that anything that interferes with that process is always just inherently really uncomfortable. Ever spitzers? Yeah, ever like spritzers? Nice. Ever spritzers. Um, that's a good podcast title. Um, ever spritzers. Yeah. What so I do very, if you're an ever spritzer. Right, what to do? Just don't wear a lot of makeup. Wear really light cotton clothing, um, yep. or no clothing. Uh, I, I prefer to wear dark colors, uh, black mostly. So if yep. I sweat through it, it's fine. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> oh God, um, yeah. I uh, I don't like waterproof mascara because it's so hard to get off. But I'm mm-hmm. so sweaty that it's like, well, I kind of have it's like to. Mandatory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I have all these color palettes. I remember um, it actually came in really handy one time because a person that you and I both know in common um, was going to go do a thing in a big dome and um, needed to like get geared up and look the part before they went and did it. And um, I was like, well, I just I happen to have this color palette right here of lovely eyeshadows that you can choose from, which I like mostly have never touched. So uh-huh. have at it. And they picked a very nice teal color. Nice, nice. Yes. Which is a color I don't t- typically wear. So it was like, well, I came equipped at, for everybody. I have a I have a color palette of eyeshadows that there's something for everybody in there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And so that, that kind of segues well into, um, I think last time when we took take one, you'd mentioned uh, when we were talking about makeup, uh, Jen Paskey, the, is she still currently? Saki. Uh, Saki. Yeah. Jen Saki. Jen Saki. How is it pronounced? Is it S A like Saki? Like S O C K Y. Gotcha. Yeah. But spelled P S A K I. Um yeah, so she's the current White House press secretary or the 34th uh White House press, press secretary. And um you mentioned that uh you had mentioned to a photographer friend of yours, you're like, oh, that's the monochromatic lady. And he was like, what do you mean? And then when he went and looked, he's like, oh, yeah. Um, Yes, she is monochromatic. He like exclaimed, it was in a text that he responded, she is monochromatic with exclamation points. Yeah, and I think this kind of makes (laughs) sense in the context of what her position is, right? Like she needs to present a very um, like non-overstimulating, like very controlled... um, kind of conservative right not not in the not conservative in like a sort of moral or like sort of political sense but more in the just kind of um visual sense right like her her presentation of herself is i mean i i don't know somebody who's more qualified could probably comment on this and i'm not usually in the position to comment on how women look um I think just in the context Tread of color, lightly. yes, just in the context <laughs> of color palettes, um, yes. and this isn't this isn't an indictment of like monochromatic is not a an insult, right? Like we're just no, saying it's fantastic. It is it's fantastic. Like she's very like put together. Very put together. Yeah, it's very. It feels. It looks very considered and really well done. Um, if you look at some of the photos of her online from her various press briefings, uh, you can just see that like she kind of chooses a color. And then just sticks to that, and like her yeah. her makeup choices and her outfits oftentimes are you know maybe dichromatic, but oftentimes very feel very monochromatic, and that that 
uh, brings us well into the idea of color schemes where a monochromatic color scheme is something where you choose one color and you just do shades of it from right. basically deep dark black to bright white. And so if you were doing grayscale, that would be a kind of monochromatic, right? Like you're just doing yep. individual colors or you know different shades of gray. Or you can just do different shades of red or, or different shades of blue or green mm -hmm. or, you know, pu uh, puce or whatever. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> puce. Puce. Yeah, that <laughs> apparently just popped into my head. So why not? <laughs> I'd like to see the monochromatic spectrum for the color puce. Right. I Well, we can maybe make that happen. But um, yeah, so uh, then you might be wondering, well, what? Like if you're listening to this podcast and you're just finding us and you're like, I really want to know about color palettes um, or right. I want to learn more about art and design, um, you may have stumbled onto the wrong podcast. Um, right. We're kind of like we are to art and design podcasting what um, what um, Professor Blastoff was to science podcasting uh -huh. where they would occasionally talk about science but only in the most abstract sense because it was three comedians on the show and right. so it was really a comedy podcast but they won best science podcast mm -hmm. a bunch of times even though like it was very light on actual science content right right and yeah and that's fine yeah and that is fine and I think the reason we chose art and design is because in order to be on uh, I think it's only, I think iTunes is the only one that actually enforces the genre choosing. Um, oh, those iTunes. Yeah. So thanks to Apple, we chose this one because originally that was something we were interested in. So yeah. Anyway, but uh, if you are listening to this podcast um, and you've gotten it, gotten this far, might we direct you to the website to get your comments? If you want to give us feedback, you're welcome to email us. Um, surely. Surely. Uh, surely yeah um if you basically yeah, so you can email our executive assistant dana um she's really great at getting your she'll reply really quickly and get get you answers um or direct you to whoever uh you may be wanting to direct your your ire at um but her email is dana d-a-n-a at fcbm.io that's a great way to go um you can just go to fcbm.io and our contact information on there and you can email one or both of us directly um as you as you feel fit um i think we're on twitter and instagram but eh. um you know you do you if you find us on there and you want to yell at us through those pl media platforms then by all means um whatever works but anyway color <laughs> schemes color schemes uh color schemes. yeah so monochromatic color schemes so like uh what what the fuck like why would you want to choose color schemes in the first place or like color palettes um i think i think we could they're like things look great with great colors on them like uh, the more art you put into something, the more fun it is and the better and the more attractive it is. Like I've got this can of um, beverage in front of me that uh -huh. has like the top, maybe one third of the can is like this creamy pastel like eggshell color. And then the bottom two thirds is like a pastel seafoam green. The other mm -hmm. one over here is like a pastel lilac. And then separating the two colors, the cream and the pastel is like a more intense tiny stripe of <clears throat> the color feature on the bottom of the can mm -hmm. it's more magenta on the lilac can and it's like a, got a little bit of yellow and green and blue mixed in to make it a little bit more intense than a pastel but either way they're really like what totally sold me on trying this particular drink is the packaging a hundred percent because there's like an overwhelming number of these types of drinks on the market now. Yeah. The like fizzy, mm -hmm. <clears throat> fizzy summertime drink. That's not a beer. And so like, um, there's no way to know which one tastes like what or which is good or bad or like which one tastes like Nana's candles. Right. I don't know if we ever talked about that, but I had one, one time that tasted like how the candle that your grandma has in the bathroom to light, on fire after somebody poops like yes. it tasted like that right <clears throat> it was like a lemon oh god lemon scented like bathroom candle uh-huh undrinkable it was horrible um but since then i've tried some others and some are much better than others this one i particularly like because it has a little tea in it mm -hmm. so it's like iced tea with fizz that sounds nice. So, but the packaging is the what's packaging really interesting about sucks it. Sucks you into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I actually wanted to make a little addendum to since we were talking about Jen Psaki and I, I think I like so I was immediately going to use her again as an example of a good applied color palette and then ah. it occurred to me that I want to maybe get off of her topic because a hundred percent it doesn't matter what she's wearing what she's saying is the thing that matters and like if we're going to talk about her we should be talking about her messaging and her representing the white house and really like what she's wearing she could just be wearing garbage bags all day long it doesn't matter like that's <laughs> like i just want to be clear that, that would be very noisy it would be very noisy and you know maybe there's an issue of like okay but she has to stand perfectly still while she delivers whatever she's talking about but I just wanted to be clear that it's like I yeah. don't personally feel that it really matters whether she's put together or not. Um, it's not really relevant to what she. Does. I would like to see a garbage pail kid as yeah. the next. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. And actually, uh, garbage pail kids are a great example of um, where you can look at art and artists having made decisions about color palettes. Um, oftentimes, especially in printed media. So in printed media, oftentimes you're limited to the colors that are available to you. Um, yes. And Garbage Pail cards of the original ones were produced at a time where the color palettes that could be printed um, were not unlimited, kind of the way, I mean, they're still limited the way they are now, but they're so expanded now that it's so much different. Um, like, in other words, technology has made us capable of much more beautiful things with a lot more um, differentiation between colors mm -hmm. in just a yeah. regular printing. Yeah. And if you look at, um, if you go online and you kind of look at, like, do a Google image search or a DuckDuckGo image search and you look at a lot of examples of Garbage Pail Kids, especially some of the classic ones, you'll notice that the actual color variation on any given card is not, um, it's not photo realistic, right? Like it's not this like incredibly sure, yeah. complex amount of colors. They're typically... Um, like usually they have some kind of like background color that maybe is a bit of a gradient and then they're going to have, um, you know, probably some flesh tone that is again, like oftentimes it's going to be like four, maybe five colors that maybe have a little bit of like variation in their shading or whatever, but otherwise, um, and so it is a good example of like color palettes for a particular art piece. Like if you're looking at, yeah. um, you know, particular particular garbage pail cards or any art from that era like that's kind of a good um i think that's a good example of looking at where color palettes have traditionally been mm -hmm. been applied and like in the art and design um yeah yeah so we were talking the other day about screen printing mm -hmm. um because i've inherited a four color like screen printing machine thingy setup right for shirts yeah. Mm -hmm. um, or, I mean, yeah, shirts, yes. It's definitely set up for shirts, but also I'm sure you could use it for screen printing on whatever, like mm -hmm. fabric or thick paper or something like that. Um, so uh, I'd like to get it set up. That's one of the things we're going to do maybe when we have space in the garage um, or in the basement when there's more room in the basement because the garage, ha whatever, someplace, someplace. <laughs> right. Um, uh, <clears throat> but then we were sort of thinking about how you'd have to conceptualize a design using four different colors in four different steps. And it's just a completely different way of thinking than mm -hmm. how we have to think of, um, like if you're doing graphic design on a computer, for instance. Right. Right. <laughs> it's really fun. Um, so I've got this cool book in front of me called the color harmony workbook oh fun and it has it says with large tear out swatches of each color combination um and it's so it's this neat workbook that you sort of go through and it has descriptions of the types of uh colors so like <clears throat> powerful or um like this one what does this one say here um romantic color schemes vital color schemes <laughs> It usually has, uh, you know, something in the full range. So all the way from the yellows and greens to blues and purples to reds and oranges. 
Um, and they have these nifty little cool uh, things that you can tear out that have these color combinations. And I'm, I would recommend this to anyone who wants to like do some color stuff, some creative color stuff in their house, because at the very back of the book, they have the CMYK colors uh-huh. for the ones that they use in the book and how to reference them. So you can actually take swatches from the book if you like the colors that they have. And they have a process conversion color chart. Um, so you can take this and go in somewhere and have paints mixed up to match these and then just go with the color schemes in the book. It's really neat. And they have several. So <clears throat> the one that I have is just the basic um, initial one. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's also a Color Harmony workbook number two. There's Color Harmony pastels, jewels, and naturals. So there's five books in the series, and these are really neat. I think they're like super helpful if you're like, I want to make something amazing, or I sort of have an idea in my head of what I what colors I want. But like sometimes when I go to um, Home Depot or someplace to go buy paint, mm-hmm. the way that they have the paint swatches arranged on the wall just doesn't do it for me. Right. Yeah. No, I know like exactly I what you mean. Yeah. I can't I can't I can't get my shit together when I'm standing there staring at it. And so I end up having to take all these swatches home. And then like everything changes in the in the light once you get it home and you have to paint it on the wall. Anyway, right. I don't know. Yeah. It just doesn't work for me. So a workbook like this where it's like, "Oh, I've got the family, the sort of like spread of colors that I want. I can work off of these and mm-hmm. try to match them to paints. And then it isn't quite so ridiculous. Like I find my bearings are completely off. I'm like, yes, I know what color gray I need for the wall so that it will match the floor in my house. And I get it home and it's like, there's way too much purple in this gray. Like what the fuck was I thinking when I was standing there? Right. Right. Because you're under those neon lights or whatever they have, or the fluorescent yeah. lights that they have for the big warehouse. And yeah, it's just, it's not, um, not ideal. No, it's not <clears throat> ideal. And I also find too, sometimes you get, um, even when you bring those swatches home and you you put them on the wall, like even if you just get like sample paint or like the best way to do it is get like a small sample and actually paint a section of the wall so you can get a, yes. like actually see how it lays down. Because um, just also those swatches are too small to really get a sense of it because you're really talking about like painting an entire surface in your home that reflects the light depending differently during the day, depending on what the light source is. If if it's at night and you have different temperature bulbs in your, you know, in your light fixtures, whatever it is. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, somebody walks into the room wearing like a bright green dress that's reflecting a lot of green light, you know, it's going to change the feel of whatever color you put on the wall in the (laughs) first place. So does this light also, or does this dress also create light? Like, is it a light up dress? Can it be a light up dress? I mean, yeah, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) It brings its own light to the room, right? Like, it's, you know, yes. Ah, delightful. Yeah. Note to self. I'm kind of imagining light up green dress. I'm imagining like, um, sort of like, like laser scattered laser light under the hem, like shooting down around your feet. Oh, that'd be really cool. Yeah. Well, now I have a new project I'm going to have to do. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Well, shucks. Well, shucks. You know me. I hate a project. Mm -hmm. So this, this color harmony workbook is published by Rockport, just in case anybody wants to know. I have no idea what year this was published. It may have been quite some time ago. That's interesting. Because I end up with <clears throat> books from long ago. 2001. All right. So not ancient. Not that, not that old. Wait, older than maybe some people who are listening to this podcast right now. Yeah. The text is by somebody named, where was it here? I just saw it. Text, Lisa Sawahata. Book design, Laura Herman design, cover design, elastic design. So Cool. Yeah, really cool book. I am not sure how much they were selling it for. Uh, let's see. It looks like 1999 in 2001. So it's not like a massive investment and it's like super utilitarian because it's got all these tear outs and stuff. Yeah. It's very good things. <clears throat> um, so what else can we say about color palettes? Um, 
I think uh, it might be worth mentioning sort of color relationships. Like one of the probably mm. one of the easy color relationships that people often learn about um, is the idea of complementary colors. If you're not familiar with a complementary color, um, traditionally a complementary color indicates that given one color, its complementary color is the highest level of contrast you can have because those two colors combined would create uh, a completely desaturated, um, they would lose all of their hue, right? So um, mm. a good- Say more about that. Yeah, so- um, So a hue is what you think of as the color, like yeah, red or Yeah, green. like, right, like whatever shade of green or blue, or like if it's some like, you like fuchsia, doesn't really matter. Like the hue is how much of that color is there versus if you desaturate it, it becomes more and more- um, it loses its hue and it becomes more gray. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, depending on what color model you're using, right? So like mixing colors, I, we probably all learned this in grade school when you're playing with crayons where it's like, um, you know, the more colors you mix in a crayon capacity, you end up with just brown and muddy black, right? Um, mm -hmm. Yes. But when you're mixing light colors, it's actually different there's actually different outcomes, right? So it's not yes. just, um, you know, it doesn't. And so depending on what color model you're using will determine a lot of like what, how you, how you mix those colors um, actually in physicality. But if we're just talking about um, the idea of complementary colors, the best way you can think of this is that, uh, so if you have um, like, so if you have like a red, and a cyan um, that creates a very strong contrast. But if you were to mix those colors together, they would be a gray color, like a very like middle of the gray, like, you know, 50% gray kind of range. Um, sure. And so uh, they like, they kind of like cancel each other out into, yeah, a, into a gray. Exactly. Yeah. They cancel each other out to a gray. And so the upshot of that is that those colors next to each other um, produce the highest amount of contrast for our eyes. Um, and so complementary colors are often featured in color palettes because then you have, like if you want a high contrast color palette, then you try to have more complementary colors in your, in your color palette because then you're gonna have colors that are very opposite of each other. Um, sure, so if colors that are opposite of each other in a color wheel are complementary, then what are colors that are right next to each other? So, um, Colors that are right next to each other are it, so a lot of this just depends on how. So now we're getting into color wheels, which I think we are color like color theory. Um, mm -hmm. And so in color theory, if we're talking about uh, a color wheel, it really depends on. Um, let me find, there's different models. So I think we talked about this previously in another podcast, but I think we talked about uh, Munsell's color system. Yep. Um, and Munsell's color system is uh, this idea of if you, if you had a top and you were spinning it, um, so you can visualize like a top spinning on the table. Um, so the outside edge of the top, that circle, the disc in the center, mm -hmm. like uh, basically this top, like could be think of, you could think of it as like a rod in the middle of a disc, right? Mm -hmm. And yep. so as you move up and down the rod, at the bottom of the rod, the part that touches the, the table that it's spinning on, that would be your black. And when you move up the rod, up to the top, um, the part that you hold on to with your finger, the very tip of that would be your white. And so there's a val like your uh, that is your value. So your value between mm -hmm. zero and ten is some gray scale, right? It's either zero meaning black or ten meaning white or somewhere in between where five is basically fifty percent gray. So that part of the axis of this three dimensional graph is um, is your value. And your chroma is how much um, how much color you have added to that value. So as you start at the cent, so now we're looking at the disc of the top, and you yep. move from the center of the disc where the rod comes through, and you move out towards the edge of the disc. When you get all the way out to the edge, 
um, using the Munsell color system, that far end is a value of 12. That means entirely, um, this is like your saturation or the, as they were referred to it as chroma. That means that you're entirely that color. So whatever color, and so then what color you are depends on how you move around that disc like you'd move around <laughs> on a clock. So if you're kind of going in one direction, you're kind of moving through blue, blue, green, green, yellow, yellow, red, 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 purple, purple, etc. right? So you're yep. kind of moving around the circle tells you which hue and then moving out to the edge of the circle tells you how much of that hue and mm -hmm. then moving up and down in this on the on the on the column the rod on the column. rod yeah tells you how how bright or dark it is so that's that's a munsell color system um this is about like describing colors right and yeah. so the idea of color relationships um comes from uh the idea of isaac newton's color wheel uh where if we're looking at a color wheel then um you have uh, you kind of have these. I'm trying to find a good example online so I can like give factual information. Hold on. Um, Great job. Look at us being all facty. Right. Um, so wheel. Isaac Newton did a bunch of stuff on color, apparently. I guess so. Uh, so a color wheel or color circle is an abstract illustrative organization of color hues around a circle, which shows the relationship between primary colors, secondary colors, tertiary colors, etc. cetera. Um, so now I'm looking to see uh, there are different colors of the color wheel. There's a trichromatic model. Uh, most color wheels are based on three primary colors, three secondary colors, and the six intermediates formed by mixing a primary with a secondary known as a tertiary, uh -huh. for a total of 12 main divisions. Um, some add more intermediaries for 24 <clears throat> main colors. Um, they make use of the trichromatic model of color. And so this is why I'm, where I'm getting at about this like model of color, like ways of, yeah. ways of the, categorizing. Yeah. The Color Harmony Workbook has 12 sections on the color wheel. Right. So they, they use kind of the, the classic sort of 12 main divisions. Right. Um, and like the way that they have it <clears throat> is if you picture, say, a record yeah, or, you know, a, it's a wheel or <laughs> um, or clock face. So red is in the perfectly up straight up and down position at mm -hmm. the top of the circle. Right. And it's the outer ring is darkest. And the inner ring is lightest. So the amount of black or white added to the color increases or decreases when you move from the center outward. So its center yeah. is most white. Outward is most dark. And then the number, the individual rings inside of the color wheel are numbered one through eight. So there's eight different shades of the color red. Right. Okay. The most pale being the one in the center, the, mo the one with the most black added to it, the darkest one being the one on the outside edge. Right, right. And then when you move clockwise around the circle, the next one you see starts with the number nine on the outer ring and goes 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 as it gets paler towards the inside. Mm -hmm. And then it goes to the next and it's orange, more and more yellow, green and green and green and blue. <clears throat> and this one has 96 colors on it total, 96 different okay. sections on the wheel. Right. Yeah. So if we're looking at um, a color wheel like that, um, there are uh, relationships between the colors. So if we're talking about complementary colors, then wherever you are on the wheel, 180 degrees around the wheel is the complementary color at that same distance from the center right mm -hmm. so if you're yeah. like right in the middle you're going to have two gray color two very gray colors but they're going or very like almost i think in the center it's going to be you said it's white on that wheel um, yes you're gonna have very like light whitish colors but the opposite color is just going to be the same the same sort of intensity um mm -hmm. so then you can also look at other relationships so there's um there's something called a triadic relationship where uh, 
you basically draw a triangle where each um, uh, each color is uh, so you have 360 degrees divided by three. Um, so hundred each one is 120 degrees. Yeah, each one other. is 120 degrees. Like a peace sign. Yeah, like kind of like a yeah, like a peace sign. Like you're kind of um, you're basically. Uh, you know, so if you were to choose red, then mm -hmm. you're going to end up with kind of um, these triadic colors where you have like red and then you're going to have like a bright green and a blue and you're going to get your RGBs, right? Like your red, green, blues. Um, and you can you can just kind of move that around and you can end up with these. And so that's kind of a triadic relationship. Um, there's something called a tetradic, which is basically four, where they're 90 degrees from each other and that can give you um, sort of these four colors. So like if you choose your kind of primary color um, to be, you know, if you're building a color, a color palette based on a titratic relationship, mm -hmm. then you would choose your kind of a primary color. Like you might choose like sort of a middle blue color and then you're going to kind of go 90 degrees from there and you're going to end up with kind of a red color and then another 90 degrees where you're sort of yellow and then another 90 degrees where you're kind of in the, um, like kind of more of a greenish seafoam green or like a teal kind of color. Um, just depending. And a lot of this depends on the color wheel you're using a little, well, not a lot, but a little bit how you, um, if you're using this model, then they should all relatively be the same, I believe. Sure. Um, but uh, there's, yeah. So there's really like, um, there's a lot of different ways of kind of arriving at color palettes um, and choosing them. And obviously, this is just a place to start from. Mm -hmm. um, I, <clears throat> I'm once again sitting under a fan and so I keep getting froggy. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, what I, one of the things that I like about this color workbook, um, is they give you different tips for color schemes for like, are you talking about general use of color or in graphic design or interior design or oh, sure. fine art? Yeah. Um, and, I really like the sort of like pointers they give you like in the earthy section. Mm -hmm. They talk about objects you're likely to see that have these colors and um, they sort of give you visual examples of like here's a room that's been decorated in this color palette and here's some objects that you're likely to <clears throat> find reminiscent of these colors or whatever. Um, so I, I like this book because it gives you a number of settings in which the colors might be useful or may look very, very different mm -hmm. um, comparatively speaking. And I think it's neat. Yeah. Um, and oh. they have, they have a lot of like what you're talking about. They have like, um, like a split complementary, which I'm pretty sure would be, uh, triadic yes triadic and then mm -hmm. they have analogous colors that are triadic yeah so the ana analogous colors uh to answer your question of what are what do you call it when the colors are right next to each other that's typically mm -hmm. referred to as an ana analogous colors um, gotcha. yeah so uh that <laughs> that that yep so yeah um what else can we say about colors uh well, uh, I mean, I think more just getting to sort of uh, the the idea of color palettes. Um, if you, I don't remember what our what podcast we talked about the the color models, but um, there are ways of like sort of arriving at color palettes that are sort of formulaic like we're talking about now like using analogous or monochromatic i like the or, mathematics of it yes yeah the mathematic mathematics of it are pretty interesting um for instance like choosing the complementary colors um i think i think the math of complementary colors is interesting um there's a formula for uh, basically determining um, determining like you're you're essentially like you want to do the color plus 180 degrees, right? Mm. And so then you're just um, 
and there's different ways of like doing that and it all a lot of it has to do with angles right like determining like which angle like where where you're starting from and then calculating like the complementary color or the tertiary color is just based on that angle um and so it's actually like pretty simple um and there's also some interesting things like there's some really good tools online um if you just kind of look up color wheel or like color palette um generator there's uh really great great tools for that um like for instance yeah are they just like standalone or like ours is kind of funny and, and hilarious yeah and so if you yeah like our our website colors. um another website we set up objectcolor.com uh which is often featured on our um on our podcast at the end we do that so like the colors of the day um yeah, today's so, colors are amazing. Yes, today's colors are amazing. Um, the objectcolor.com uh, generates two colors, and they are they start out complementary. Um, so it picks a color, and then it generates the or it calculates the complementary color, and then um, then you're good to go. And and then it names them uh, based on their you know correctly it correctly names them based on their hue right or right they're kind of their their particular values uh their hue and their value right um and uh <laughs> yeah so and we we've been talking about actually expanding objectcolor.com to implement a color palette generator as well um yes and we'll, we'll definitely want to um We'll, we'll I'm very excited about the expansion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think when it'll you be were describing project. it to me, I thought it sounded great. Yeah. And I think uh, it'll just be an expansion because we have our colors of the day um, where we generate the two colors that are complementary. And then we'll have um, an expansion from that where, it, you know, pay, possibly it will generate color palettes that you can go to and use for inspiration for your own art projects or whatever you want. Um, mm -hmm. And you can even use the color names uh, as you need. Like we have. Um, you know, should we just do color of the day? Are we pretty close to? We can do color of the day. Let's see what time it is. It's uh, we have been chatting about colors for forty-one minutes, yeah. so we could do the color of the day, and this could just be a short podcast. It could be, yeah. I mean, it could it's, be a it'd short be one, one of our shorter ones, but it's definitely one not our shorter ones. Yeah, we average. <laughs> over an hour typically over an hour yes. we're carrying a good average here i think we um, don't i don't i think our listener retention does not make it out to an hour i think it's in the realm of like 30 not. 35 minutes but i don't whatever that's all right well yeah. as if we were doing this for other people to listen to right i mean we're we're basically just documenting a couple of lives here and you're right. along for the ride right yeah either way um, um i mean you're welcome to jump in i mean that's one of the yeah. reasons we keep mentioning the email is you you can email us directly like we're not um we do have a pretty good listenership i think we have in the realm of about two or three hundred listeners every month which is a lot more than i ever like hundreds more than i ever imagined yep um and if you're one of those people or you just found this and you're like, well, I want to talk to these guys. We're, we're not, uh, we're not so large that we like are fending off the emails every day. And so <laughs> now's a good time. Like if you want to have something to say, or you want to have dialogue with us, like now's the time, sure. um, write in, uh, I mean, we already hear, we've heard from pretty, uh, some very interesting people, um, already. And, and we have some ideas, uh, that they sent in that we hope to, kind of expand on and talk more about at some point. Yes. So, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyway, um, yeah, let's do, let's do, so you, your art department, actually, you were in touch with them. So they sent I you. I was because it was, you know, your birthday. And so I wanted to give you a break. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yes. Thank you. Um, so it's kind of funny that it's your birthday because these colors are definitely an unbirthday present to me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The first color <clears throat> is called, Hirsute Walnut, which is, is adorable because yeah. Hirsute means hairy. Right. Um, like very hairy. So the RGB value of this color is 23, or sorry, 231, 18, 81. And the hexadecimal color is pound sign or hashtag or hexadecimal. 
E71251. And it is like this gorgeous, intense, super awesome watermelon color. Like it's so, it's like what I want watermelon to be the color of when I crack it open. And it's Uh it's like a, it's a washed out version of that in real life. But this is like, this is watermelon red. It is the best color ever. And then the complimentary color is sensory motor scuffle. It's so great. I've been in a scuffle. I've been in a scuffle. Sarah. Sarah, Sarah, I've been in a scuffle. So the RGB value of this delight uh-huh. is 24,237,174. And the hexadecimal is hex18edingo. Uh, um, donkey punch, whatever. Donkey punch. <laughs> <laughs> Alpha. Alpha Edit. echo. Yeah. Echo. So if you're not familiar with... Um, why we give the hexadecimal values, it's really easy to view these. If you drop the uh, the whole hexadecimal value into Google, it will immediately show you the color. This color. This color. So um, this, this complementary color is like this beautiful seafoam green. I'm pretty sure there was a level of Tetris that that used these colors like primarily. Yes. 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 I'm... There, I, like mm, it was maybe like in the first six levels i think yeah like maybe level five or six was hirsute walnut and sensory motor scuffle which is just amazing um yeah and so those colors again the um the hexadecimal values are just going to be you're going to put in the hashtag including you're going to do hashtag echo seven one two five one that's for hirsute walnut and for sensory motor scuffle, again, you're just going to put in hashtag 18 echo delta alpha echo. Um, and you're just going to drop that right in there. It'll show you amazingly bright watermelon and like seafoam green, just like a really, these Such are. Such a good combination. Yeah. Um, and whoever named these just did a really good job. I mean, they really, I feel like it really captures the the mood. We have an amazing team. We do have an amazing team. Yeah. So um, go team. Go team. Yeah, so that's like that's like pretty much uh, everything yeah. we got to say on that. I mean, there's way more to talk about color palettes. Um, I I find them really interesting, and I think we're gonna probably end up revisiting this topic in the near future. Um, probably yes. I think uh, there's like particular um, <clears throat> color palettes that make me feel things very strongly, mm-hmm. like. Um, a lot of the colors from the early 70s don't sit well with me in interior design. Mm-hmm. But they're very nostalgic. Like in my kitchen, I have super, super, super dark cabinets mm-hmm. that are stained um, like an espresso brown, like very dark. Yeah. It took me a long time to explain to the people at the store exactly how dark I wanted these cabinets. They kept showing me things like oak and I'm like, no, no, no maybe, no, not, no. maybe I'm not explaining this correctly. Right. Like when you overbrew coffee and yes. you can't see the light through it when you hold it up to the window, that color brown, like yes. very, yeah. very dark brown. So right. eventually arrived at like well we could these people were so hesitant we could show you this one but i mean it's almost black and i was like yes like what have we been doing for the last 45 <laughs> right, minutes right. so they finally showed it to me i was like yes that's the color so i have very dark brown cabinets and a, a very tomato red wall um yeah and i like the high contrast and that reminds me of my neighbors uh, my my parents have some neighbors um that they've lived next to the whole time I've been alive and their kitchen was decorated in tomato red and dark brown from the 1970s. And I just loved it. But the other colors, like the other colors in the sort of common um, palette from that time, my parents had Aztec gold walls. It was, yeah. like, I think it was Aztec wheat was what it was called or something. And it was uh-huh. like a mustard yellow, like not uh-huh. a happy color, just a very anxious color to be sitting surrounded by. Uh-huh. Um, and they had sort of like pea soup green avocado, like rotten avocado green appliances in the kitchen. Uh huh. Yeah. And I so the colors in our house from the seventies, I really was not comfortable with like the weird greens and yellows together. But the neighbor's house with the the super vibrant like sort of. Um, like really biological colors, like like forest colors or something, like autumn colors I really liked. Yeah. Yeah. I your description of that is like really spot on. I remember my grandmother's kitchen had um 
it had the boomerang countertops, which if if you're not yeah. familiar with what those are, um, they're the, like formica, right? Yeah, they're formica, um, and the boomerang pattern is a. It's like it really reminds me of the Jetsons. Yeah. So oftentimes, what what it is is it's um, sort of amorphously blobby sort of boomerang tracing like so like maybe the size of a quarter um like if you drew a boomerang on Mm -hmm. you know on a piece of paper that was about that filled the space of about a quarter and then you 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 basically did that in a like a um like a pencil outline so it's not filled in it's just Mm -hmm. a it's just a complete shape yeah it's a line drawing and then you just like rotated that all over the countertop on top of like layering on top laying layering on top of each Mm -hmm. other um Mm -hmm. in a pattern like it's not really a pattern it's just sort of this chaos um and and they're different shades from like black to white um or sort of dark to light and then my grandmother's particular palette was this sort of um like seafoam green with like yellow boomerangs kind of oh Um, yeah Yep. Yeah, it was pretty intense, I remember. Um and uh but the thing about it was like so that was the countertops and then the cabinets were exactly what you described. Like she called it avocado green and I was like you mean rotten avocado green? <laughs> yes. Like it's not avocado. It's not the I avocado not you want to eat. Right. It's, if if I got an avocado that color I'd be like there's something wrong with this avocado. We shouldn't eat it. Yeah, well, it's the color of if you've eaten a, I've eaten <laughs> so many avocados in my life and the, this particular color is the color of avocado where it's not so bad that you you can't eat it but it's so ripe that you're like if i eat a lot of this it's going to make me feel sick not because it's poison but just because it's too it's too much like it's it's not you're like no it's gone it's it's over ripened it feels it's too mm-hmm. much um <laughs> it's too much yeah it's, so yeah, yeah. anyway it textures awful textures awful yeah Does like it smell it's kind of weird yeah it just smells a little weird it's just like oh oh gone too far gone too far mm-hmm. abort um yeah, it's like it's the it's the level of green where you're like, if I'm really desperate for avocado, I might chance it, but I'm probably not going to. You're like, are the are the oils in this avocado rancid? Right. <laughs> yes. Right. Exactly. How old is this avocado? Yeah. Yeah. Just. Oh yeah. God. Um. <laughs> I've always really liked um, very intense, very bright reds. So like. Uh huh cherry and like fire engine and stop sign and tomato reds yep. um, as opposed to like brick or maroon or like sure. sort of the depressed reds uh-huh. um i really am a huge fan of purples but in the purples i like i like plum shades of purple mostly yeah um so a lot of red purple i love magenta oh yeah yep um and i love oranges but i can't wear them and I love Orange green. Orange is a hard color to wear I, for a lot of people, I think. It is. Yeah. I look really good in olive green. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I do not look good in any other shade of green, especially if there's too much blue or too much yellow in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I look okay in blues. I don't know. I feel like I look a little strange in blue. Mm. I don't feel comfortable when I'm wearing blue. Sure. Sure. I get you. I feel strange in it. And yellow makes me look really sick if I wear oh, it. Oh, right. Like some right. blonde people look great in yellow. Uh huh. And not me. I look okay in, I look good in olive green and black. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. That's I mean, black it. is black is always a good go to. Mm hmm. Yeah. Plus that whole sweating thing we talked about. Right. Right. <laughs> so I have a, pal- I have a giant, um, I have a giant splinter in my palm. Oh. Well, that's a that's a whole podcast in and of itself. I know. Itself. I don't know how to get it out. Uh, soak it. In what? Uh, just warm water for a while. I take baths all the time. No, I mean like like, um, like constantly. Like like put a wet thing on it and hold it there for a long time. Um, oh. Yeah, like not and then and then fish it out with a needle. Like sterilize a needle and poke it. Like poke it out with a needle. Okay. Like a sewing this needle. Is, That's what I usually do. This is good advice, yeah. everybody. Um, you can sometimes you can use a needle to cut 
the like cut the skin across depending on like if it's just under the skin mm -hmm. as opposed to like directly down into the skin um, yeah it's at an angle yeah so sometimes you can kind of come from the back and you mm -hmm. can poke into the skin and poke it out um but soaking it helps because it really uh will like make it easier to do all of that um, great yeah like really hot water um you can soak it in hydrogen peroxide, but I find that doesn't help as much as some people think it does. Um, hmm. Hydrogen peroxide is like good at like good at debreeding like wounds, but yeah. I, I don't find it to be super effective against splinters. It depends on you know various factors, but I have a drying salve I could put on it. Yeah, I would just personally I would just use the hot water. Okay. Um, I ran know, out like, of Epsom salt recently, which is a bummer. Yeah. Did you know that Epsom salt is like, um, it's, uh, I want to look this up cause I don't want to give the wrong impression or the wrong information. It's, um, it's like so much water. So magnesium sulfate is basically, um, the so magnesium sulfate like salts yes. are basically like two ions right coming together yes. and so there's the uh sulfate ion which mm -hmm. is like so4 um yep. or like two so4s like two sulfate ions but the um the magnesium ion is this hexahydrate so it's a magnesium metal atom with six waters attached to it no and, way yeah and so epsom salt um so like you can pull I forget how much it is like basically so for every for every magnesium ion there's actually six molecules of water and Is that why it's a laxative? Um I don't I'm not sure why it acts as a laxative um I I'm not sure that mechanism but uh mm -hmm. the interesting thing about it is that you can reduce the hydrates of the magnesium and you can pull off a super huge amount of water um, from the from the crystals like when you buy when you buy magnesium sulfate or you buy yeah. uh, what's it called um, epsom, salt. epsom salt yeah if you buy epsom salt you can i think you can just i think you can just heat it up i think you can literally put it in the oven and mm -hmm. it will melt into water and you as you evaporate off the water like you can just pull off so much water from it it's insane and then what's left behind sulfur and well eventually you end up with anhydrous magnesium sulfate so you basically have the magnesium um atom uh you know um uh ionically bonded to the uh so the sulfur the sulfate that's fascinating yeah yeah, it's it's super interesting. Um, so when I buy a giant fifty pound bag of magnesium salts for my bath, and I buy Epsom salts, I'm mostly buying water. Yeah, I mean you have to understand, like it's just <laughs> like you're not like right. You're buying magnesium sulfate. Right. That's what it is. But it's just interesting how much water can come out of this compound, right? And and how it works as magnesium magnesium sulfate. It's that's how it works, right? Um, yeah. If you had anhydrous magnesium sulfate and you put that in the bathtub it would eventually have the same effect because it would end up hydrating itself mm. right um and then if you evaporated a lot off a lot of water the first state of that would be that sort of uh that hexahydrate magnesium sulfate right um, Crazy. yeah i don't know just it was very interesting um i think there's a there's a YouTube channel called Nile Red, I think, and he does a lot of chemistry experiments that I've been into watching lately, and I think that was one of the ones he was talking about at one point or two. Yeah, very fun. I, I like watching some of that stuff. I find his voice a little bit – it took me a little while to like get into it. I, I don't know what it is about it. Like It's just not um, – it's not a very soothing voice to listen to, yeah. um, but he. Uh, well, but we don't his, want you falling asleep over your Bunsen burner. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. He's no is Peter he, Draws, is all I'm saying. Right. Oh, yeah. Peter. Yeah. How's Peter doing lately? I mean, his one of his latest videos I very much enjoyed. I don't even want to spoil it for you or anyone. But, I think if you're listening to this and you don't watch Peter Draws, you're doing yourself a disservice. That's true. Yeah, you definitely need to uh, go check out some Peter Draws. So. Watch it, enjoy it, love it, know it. Yep. Yep. Um, so uh, we ended up 
talking for another 20 minutes we did. and we're yes. right at the one hour mark so we're keeping up our average even when we're trying not to okay well thank you everybody for listening and uh we'd love to hear from you um executive send assistant us Dana. your emails that's d-a-n-a at fcbm.io if you send her an email she'll get get it get you in touch with either of us or just go to our website fcbm.io we've got contact information there um we don't have any advertising on our website so sending you there doesn't really do us any favors other than we'd love to hear from you so right. as well as listening to this podcast like we don't have any sponsors or advertisers um and we i don't we haven't been approached so it's not really an issue but if it came up i'm not sure how we would I don't know. We would let I'd you know. I'd be like, obviously. let me get my shotgun. Get off my damn lawn. Get off, get off my damn lawn. I don't know. I, I think I, I, yeah, I don't, I've, I like that we don't advertise, um, yeah. but it's really easy to do that when you don't have much option to. Like no one's been to... like, well, how much money would it take? You know what I mean? Yeah. How much <laughs> so. money would it take for you to keep doing the exact same thing? Right. Yeah. So um, <laughs> anyway, I don't know. Uh, uh, like, you know, we'd love to hear from you about that too. Yes. Um, yeah. Tell us your stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> tell us your stuff. Tell us your opinions and things. I just hate advertising so much. It's really hard for me to imagine doing that. But I do too. I also I... love doing this podcast so much with you that I'd be like, oh, if that means I don't have to do other work, I may have to think hard about this. But yeah, we would have we would have so many podcasts. Then we would. Oh. More money, more podcasts. More money, more money, as, more podcasts. Right. As the former Puff Daddy used to say. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure that's what the line was. Yeah. Yes. I'm. I'm 95 percent sure that's exactly what it was. More money, more podcasts. I was like, in 1995, this makes perfect sense. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> you know what they say. You know what they say. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, speaking of Peter Draws, okay, goodbye. Goodbye. Love goodbye. you. We love you. Goodbye.